our minds and our hearts, Father, this morning, that uh, everything we present, Father, will be in accordance to your will, and that you would help us to take it and apply it to our lives, Father, so that we could be stronger Christians to those that we come in contact with, Father, and that we could could shine the light to those around us. Father, we'd ask it, I'd ask that you would give me a, a remembrance of the things I've prepared, Father, and again, that it would be beneficial to those that, that we speak with. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I do have to apologize. Uh, of course, last week uh, was my was when I was intending to uh, present this lesson. We had some issues at uh, where I work and uh, kind of dealing with with some of the after effects of the the tornado that hit uh, in uh, Hendersonville, uh, Tennessee. So uh, you get to listen to me today now. So we're just uh, backing this up a bit. Of course, this uh, study is fundamentals of the faith. Uh, you know, we've all I think in this class at least, uh, most of us have been, uh, you know, in church or have, you know, been Christians for probably quite some time, but I think it's still crucial that we go back and just remember, um, you know, what brought us to our faith and and where we are every day. So I know two weeks ago when Josh presented, you know, we started talking about authority, authority in religion, and we kept talking about... uh, you know, how you had to have some standard um, in uh, developing authority. You had to have uh, methods of figuring out, you know, who sets that standard. Uh, we looked at, um, you know, the differences between man-made standards and God's standards. Uh, we saw how, um, you know, when we try to interject our own standards, uh, things typically fall apart. And... Uh, that's one of going to be one of the, the focuses again this morning is is focusing back on what's God's standard for us in everything that we do. And I think that's crucial to in this again this entire study that we're having right now. Um, this morning uh, we're going to be talking about covenants. Uh, does anybody have a quick definition of what a covenant is? Contract, right? So exactly, that's Webster's uh, dictionary. Uh, there's, you know, a formal contract, written agreement, a promise between two or more parties. Um, and just thinking about that, how often do you think we interact with covenants in our day-to-day lives? Almost every, well, about everything we do, you all have one of these, right? Every time there's an update, you know, you have to go and agree to the, all the terms. Well, guess what? That's a contract. That's a covenant. Uh, if anyone's in banking and deal with mortgages, you're entering into a covenant uh, between you know the bank is is promising you funds and you're promising to pay it back. And if you fall short of your part of the agreement, what happens? Whatever you've purchased is is repossessed, is taken away from you. Uh, I know Jim and I, you know, we are in the um, public works or uh, development side of things and deal with contracts, you know, daily or weekly on every project that we assemble. Um, you know, I've looked at, at contracts that are hundreds of pages um, and thinking, you know, those are very laborious. It's uh, mind-numbing to have to go through all that. Uh, but there's a reason why there's that much material um, because we had to establish a standard and some sort of authority. Uh, typically, those types of contracts have been vetted with national organizations, and there's a lot of 
a lot of legalese in there that, uh, again, will make you go to sleep very quickly. But the whole reason it's there is because at some point in time, there's been a conflict with the contract, and it went to the courts. So uh, the standard there is whatever precedent was set in court, uh, you know, that's how a lot of that, that language is framed. Uh, but with all of that work that's involved, guess what? There's still mistakes in there. And you know why I know that? Because a human developed all that language. I can guarantee you, no matter how detailed, there's always going to be mistakes. Um, big difference between what we're talking about, God has established the covenants that we're going to be discussing this morning. And he is the authority. You know, so... Um, he sets the terms and conditions of the, the agreement, right? Um, he sets it out. His terms aren't going to change. He's not going to fall short of, of his part of the agreement. But where is the tenants or where is the potential for failure there? It's with us, right? It's with our, our, or our inability to, to keep up with the, the terms of the agreement. Um, you know, when we also, we have to maintain our terms of the agreement in order to um, receive the promised benefits, right? So the Bible has two main covenants that God made. Of course, we all, anybody who wants to speak up this morning, what are they? Got, I heard it, somebody said it, the old, old covenant and the new covenant, right? So who was the old covenant made between between God and who? Right, the nation of Israel, right? And the new covenant is between God and who? Big difference. Christians, individuals. It's, it's not a national covenant. It's an individual covenant between, between us, between people. So again, true to the word, the covenant, each covenant has its, its defined and, and specified conditions of promised benefits. Um, again, that's a, a major key when we're studying the Bible is understanding and then realizing how we can apply that distinction between, again, the Old and the New Testaments. And that's where I think a lot of confusion comes into play today, uh, you know, when we try to mix and match um, you know, the distinction between Old Covenant and New Covenant, you know, when we try to start bringing aspects of the Old Covenant into the Christian age, things start to get a little bit confusing and, and uh, you know, we can, we can be in error. But then what's the real danger if we, if we do have an error there? What, what do you think would, would be a danger of, of us misapplying or trying to pull from the Old Covenant? Ultimately... Souls are going to be lost. It, if it may be me, if I misapply, you know, and then I'm found in error, God's going to judge me for that. But even to me, even more scary is what if I've misapplied that and, and taught somebody else wrongly? You know, then that is a, a something that, that to me gives me a lot of pause. Uh, so again, we've got to make that distinction between the old and the new and then realize, you know, where we need to live. Um want to uh, jump in real quick. So if y'all want to turn to uh, Exodus chapter 19. 
we're going to focus again on the first covenant, the first national covenant that, that God made, and this is between uh, him and the Israelites. Of course, this is setting up the scene, um, you know, as Moses had led out the, the children of Israel from, from Egypt, and, uh, you know, they had camped at, uh, at Mount Sinai. Uh, and we'll start in uh, verse 3. I'll read down through uh, verse 8. So it says, Moses went up to the mountain to God, And the Lord called to him from the mountains. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You've seen what I did to the the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to me. Now, if you will listen to me and carefully keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of the peoples. Although all the earth is mine, you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to to the Israelites. After Moses came back, he summoned the elders of the people, put before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. Then all the people responded together, We will do all that the Lord has spoken. So again, that's where um, God first enacted his covenant, his national covenant with, with the children of Israel. And... Of course, you know, he, he did mention to them, you know, what the terms were. Uh, let's turn over to uh, Exodus chapter 24 as well. Um, that's where he gets a bit more into uh, the actual covenant ceremony. Jeremy, I'm uh, getting a little bit uh, dry mouth. Would you care to read verse 1 through 8? All right. So that's again where they did have that actual covenant ceremony. Of course, then uh, being fallible people, imperfect people, how long did it take for them to actually break the covenant initially? Remember when Moses went back up on the mountain and then comes back down and they've got a golden calf that they're worshiping, so it didn't take them long at all. Um, Again, that just shows us how, you know, how unable we are, I think, to... uh, um, Again, keep God's covenant perfectly. Uh, again, the entire Bible shows us, you know, how how we obviously need. We can't, you know, look at uh, Adam and Eve. How long did it take them before, you know, they were in paradise in in direct relationship with God? And how long did it take them before they they messed all that up? Not long at all. Of course, again, we don't know the exact time frame, but again, very finite, short amount of time before being actually in the presence of God and they still couldn't carry it out. You know, God gave them everything, a, a perfect relationship with him. Um, you know, go back here to the to the Israelites as well. Um, but again, God did continue to hold up his end of the bargain. Uh, of course, with, with Moses interceding uh, throughout the rest of his life for the Israelites, of course, you know, we, we do understand uh, all the... the Aspects and, and issues they had, uh, you know, trying to get to to the promised land. Uh, but God did again made that first covenant with the Israelites, and He upheld His end of the bargain. Um, it was uh, the one of the big distinctions again with this first covenant is it was with the Israelites and only the Israelites. So they excluded all other nations, all Gentile nations. So you know. That tells me that I was, you know, my family ultimately, I think, uh, 
uh, immigrated from you know Scotland and Ireland. I guess y'all can tell from the from the complexion. But again, what does that mean? That means I was not. You know, my ancestors were not part of that first covenant. You know, it was only for the nation of Israel. Uh, but again, it was a a national covenant, right? It was with the nation, even though the individuals were all uh, part of it. Um, getting back into that, God said, I am the Lord your God. He brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. That's Exodus 20. He said, it will be a sign between me and you throughout your generations. It is a sign, or this is back up again. This is uh, the Sabbath ceremony. Um, and one of the distinctions with uh, with the Israelites or the Old Testament uh, covenant was the, the Sabbath ceremony. But he's talking about this. He said, this will be a sign between you and me throughout your generations. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. So again, God established that, and he was going to keep, or did keep his end of the bargain, uh, regardless of whatever the, the children did, right? Um, God did intend, though, for that covenant to be temporary. Um, you know, he, and again, as he go all the way back to uh, uh, Genesis 22, uh, when he spoke to Abraham, you know, it tells us there in, in verse 18, um, God did not intend for this covenant, you know, to perpetuate throughout time. He said, uh, I will indeed bless you and make your offsprings as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your offspring will possess the gates of their enemies, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. So again, uh, it's because of Abraham's faith ultimately is why we got into, or they got into the covenant with with, uh, God. Um, you know, it was a blessing because of, of Abraham's faith. Um, he promised, you know, back when he called Abraham out of the um, uh, land of the Chaldees, you know, he mentioned that, uh, you know, he would make of him and his seed a great nation. And again, that ultimately occurred um, with the nation of Israel. Again, his ultimate promise was to be a, a blessing for all the families or nations of the earth. And how's that ultimate blessing going to occur? Or how did that occur? Ultimately, finally, who came out of the nation of Israel? Christ. Right, through Christ. And again, that's where, um, you know, in verse 18 of, of Genesis 22, when he says, all nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring. Um, you know, that's, again, a, a prophecy of, of Christ ultimately coming through um, through the line of Judah. Any uh, questions or comments, thoughts? Ex- exactly. I mean, right, right. And again, that was just thinking about that. I've always thought about uh, you know since I've been a little kid. As we started, you know, reviewing the the old law and all the. Uh, the laws themselves and all the different uh, ordinances involved behind that and just think about how confusing that would be um, knowing that you know if you've given it your very best effort 
99.9% chance you've still failed because you've not done something correctly or there was a law or ordinance that you didn't understand or know about and you, um, you know, you, you failed in that regard. So you were always guilty. Um, that, to me, that's always struck me as, oh my goodness, if I had to live back in those days, I wouldn't have lasted, uh, you know, wouldn't have lasted a week. All right. Right. All right. You know, one of the things kind of off topic a bit here, but uh, thinking about the uh, the sacrificial system, um, you know, we we understand and know that you know the consequences of sin is death. Uh, back in the in these days, you know, you had to provide a sacrifice, right? There was something had to shed its blood to, uh, you know, atone for, for our transgressions. And I always think about the Levites, you know, how, how they tended to the altar and had to uh, mind the, the sacrifices and just how nasty and bloody that would be every day. I mean, especially if you're bringing, you know, an individual sacrifice, well, how many millions of people there were at the time and if you had just a small fraction of those that were you know being faithful and bringing their sacrifice every day to me that was a a, would be a continual and a very graphic representation of what the consequences of our sin are i mean something has to shed its blood to atone for for our sins and to think about how you know it was continual. They couldn't just. It couldn't just be a one-time, once-and-done sacrifice. If you know, if I brought my my best calf in this this morning and came back home and I messed up, well, you know, what am I going to do again? I, Russell, did you have your hand up? All right. Yeah, and I wanted to touch on that too. You know, that is one of the big differences with you know where we are now under the new covenant. Christ did take everything that we deserve. And it, I don't know if anybody's ever watched the old uh, Passion of the Christ movie, but that's probably, in my mind, at least one of the best representations in film that I've experienced that, you know, give me at least a glimpse of what Christ actually endured physically. Of course, it can't ever describe, help describe to us what he went through spiritually. And, you know, to me, I think a lot of times... That was what, you know, he was suffering under, you know, when he was in the garden and, uh, you know, when when he was so distressed, you know, it talks about sweat coming like beads of, of blood on his forehead. He knew he was going to be separated from God for that period of time and just how awful that was going to be. Uh, but that physical aspect, I mean, just if y'all have ever watched it, I mean, I can, I've probably watched it 10 or 15 times and, I mean... I'll still get emotional when the scourging starts. I just, it just, I don't know what it is about it, but I mean, just knowing that God, that Jesus took that on himself for me, you know, it was me that put him there, not, he, you know, and uh, again, that, to now, I, I guess, understanding, like you said, Russell, that, you know, we have to keep that in the forefront of our mind, and again, that is there every single day, but it's also freeing, I think, knowing that, Jesus has already done it. 
He's already won. He's already taken our punishment. Um, you know, now all we've, what have we got to do now? We've got to obey. Um, and then he, God still knows that we're still going to be imperfect in that, which turns back around is the whole reason why Jesus went to the cross, so that he would continually cover our sins and help us, you know, as we continue to try to walk that, that light. Um, backing up a little bit, um, talking about uh, talking about Jesus, um, you know, it mentions in uh, uh, Genesis, end of Genesis chapter 49, it says that the, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall the obedience shall be the obedience of the people. And again, that's describing to us, um, you know, Jesus coming through the line of Judah. Um, one of the things to think about Jesus, you know, he um, he came from the line of Judah, which was not of the priestly tribe, right? Jesus was from the the kingly tribe, but yet. What does the Bible also tell us? Uh, Zechariah tells us that Jesus would come as a priest, and then we know that you know that uh, the priest of the covenant um, with Israel would come from Levi. So again, it's a little bit of a you know, we have the the kingly um, aspect of Jesus, but also the the priestly aspect of Jesus. Um, Hebrews uh, chapter 7 says, For the, the priesthood has changed of necessity. There's also a change of law. So again, we're now we're starting to get into understanding that, um, again, the old covenant had a purpose. It was to be temporary, but its purpose ultimately was to bring Jesus into the world, be our ultimate sacrifice, right? Um, it does say though that you know Jesus couldn't be a priest on the earth since he was from the tribe of, of Judah. Um, so again, that's I think that's where we get the description of the, the order. Of, you know, Jesus was of the order of Mel, the priestly order of Melchizedek. Uh, if we remember uh, back in Genesis uh, when. Uh, Abraham encountered Melchizedek and how he worshipped worshipped him. Uh, Jesus is is coming in that that aspect as well. Um, again, I'm using a lot of uh, references to Hebrews. Uh, it says Jesus was to be our merciful and faithful high priest, um, and that tells us that we won't be be bound to go back to the old covenant. Um, Let's jump over into uh, Galatians for just a bit. Galatians chapter 3. And I'm going to have to hit another gear or we're not going to get through. <clears throat> Galatians 3 verses 16 through 19. It says, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and two seeds, as, through, as though referring to many, but, he says, and to your seed, referring to one, which is Christ. And I say this, the law which came 430 years later does not revoke a covenant that was previously ratified by God 
so as to cancel the promise. For the inheritance is from the law. It is no longer from the promise, but God granted it to Abraham through the promise. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was was ordered uh, through angels by means of a mediator. So again, here we see, uh, you know, the fact that why we had to, or why God's original uh, intent of the covenant was that it would be be temporary, but ultimately its its purpose was to bring uh, Jesus into the world. And uh, we see that it, you know, it was added because of transgressions. Um, it was given that sin might appear sin or be recognized as sin, and that it was exceedingly sinful, uh, sinful beyond measure. It was designed to to bring about fulfillment of the promise of to Abraham. Again, we mentioned that uh, um, you know when we looked at the original. Um, when God made his original promise to, to Abraham to bless him and create a, a great many nations, but then he's mentioned that all nations would be blessed through him as well. Um, and it also served to show us a, a shadow of good things to come. I know there's several uh, uh, mentions of the, the old law being a shadow, uh, specifically in, in Hebrews. I've seen that quite a bit. And I went through several years ago a study of the sacrificial system, and that instructor, um, you know, continuously used that that uh, description of the old law of it being a shadow. Um, right. Thinking about, uh, you know, one of the thoughts I was thinking about with the shadow, of course, you know, you're out in the middle of the day, a form of yourself when you block out the rays of the sun, right? Uh, on the ground, you can recognize yourself, but that's not wholly you. Um, you know, that's a representation or an outline of yourself, but it's not not fully you. So, again, that shows us that God was intentional. Um, you know, the fact that why He limited, I think, the Old Testament covenant. Uh, you know, again, it was to ultimately bring Christ into the world, but then also show us explicitly or show the Israelites explicitly the you know the consequences of sin um, daily and God did affirm that you know he said it was uh, weak through the flesh that it was a null it was a null because of its weakness and not because and because it was not faultless what he means is that you know it does not mean that God was weak or ineffectual in making that covenant um, and doesn't mean that he messed up with the first covenant or got it right in the second. It just means that the design of the first part of the first covenant was what God intended again to prepare all mankind uh, for that better, that everlasting covenant through Jesus. Um, again, it was limited in that you know again it was only to one nation, to the nation of Israel, um, and then you know it couldn't remove sin. And it couldn't justify or give righteousness. Uh, couldn't make one perfect. And again, if there, you know, if it had been a, a perfect covenant, if that's the sacrifices associated with it had been been perfect, you know, then there would be no need for Jesus coming into the world, right? Um, so God did again know what He was doing. Um, you know, God did make that. Uh, 
promise that he was going to make a new covenant. Let's uh, flip over to Jeremiah uh, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. I, I've been rambling a little bit. Is there any anybody got any comments, questions, thoughts before we? So this is God promising that he was going to make a new covenant through, uh, through Jeremiah's writings. Starting in verse 31. So look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. A covenant they broke even though I had married them. The Lord's Declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will place my law within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least to the greatest of them, the Lord's declaration. For I will forgive their wrongdoing and never again remember their sin. So again, the old covenant was was uh, fulfilled or going to be fulfilled when when Jesus came into the world. Um, again, that was till Jesus would come uh, with the promise. And of course, we know this the the seed uh, that's referred to in Galatians chapter three that I uh, mentioned previously. That's you know reference to Christ. Um, when we did get the coming of Christ, what did that also signal? In relation to the old covenant, it's going to, the days of it being in in effect were going to be over, right? So when Jesus uh, came into the the earth in the form of a, a baby and started to grow, then that was, you know, that was the beginning of the end for the the old covenant as as God had designed it. Um, you know, it says that Jesus declared that he did. You know, when, when his ministry started, you know, he declared fully that he came to fulfill the covenant that God made with Israel and that it would pass when all the law is fulfilled. Um, and then if you all remember when he... Well, let's, I, can, I need the two, two people to read for me. I need somebody to uh, flip over to uh, John 19, verse 30. And then... I'll tell you what, what, I'll get this second, we'll, we'll combine that. So I'll read uh, Matthew uh, chapter 27, verse 51, and then that same reference is in Mark 15. Uh, so who's got 19, John 19, verse So that's the one time we see, you know, Jesus declaring that as, as he died on the cross, uh, that he had he had finished, he had fulfilled his purpose, and uh, you know I can just about imagine, even though he's you know giving up the spirit at that point, um, to me I could almost see him in a triumphant shout, saying that instead of just a weak murmur or whatnot. Uh, you know he had come and he had finally fulfilled his purpose. Um, and then we know that in, in uh, Matthew chapter 27, uh, verse 51, at the moment that, or verse 50, with it, when Jesus uh, died, he says, suddenly the, the curtain of the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. 
So, uh, you know, that's the very graphic representation of at the moment Jesus died, you know, in the the veil in the tabernacle between the, uh, you know, the inner and outer uh, sanctuaries being ripped from top to bottom, again, shows that that was, the, uh, to me, one of the outward expressions of God showing, hey, the old covenant is no longer in effect. It's, it's, uh, we're, we're now on to a new age. Uh, and then, of course, Jesus, you know, after his resurrection, you know, he mentioned uh, that all things had been fulfilled. Um, so if the covenant had been fulfilled, then that meant the covenant was, again, was temporary, was to be, to pass away. And I think that the uh, um, the, the New Testament, you know, it is very clear in the fact that um, it's showing us that showing us that you know the God or Jesus would take away the old covenant and establish His new covenant. Um, let's turn over quickly to Second Corinthians chapter three. I'll read verse 14. It says, But their minds were closed, for this is the day at, at the reading of the Old Covenant. The same veil remains, is not lifted, because it is set aside only in Christ. So again, Jesus is showing that, or Paul's writing here, showing that the Old Covenant was taken away uh, when Jesus uh, came and fulfilled uh, his purpose. Um, again, he... he uh, you know, wiped away um, the hand or the uh, requirements against us. You know, the, the um, I got my I got my notes all mixed up here. That's Colossians. I, that's why I didn't read right. I was like, wait a minute, Colossians two fourteen. That would make a little bit more sense. It's what happens when you can't read your own writing. Says he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was take, that was against us and opposed to us, and was ta- and had taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. So again, he erased that that certificate of debt. That uh, you know, my sin obligates me to to pay up, right? The, the, was was the Bible? The writers tell us that the wages of sin is death, right? So. Uh, Jesus erased that debt, you know, by coming and, and being the sacrifice for us. Um, having, you know, He nailed that that debt to the cross and was that sacrificial lamb in our place. Um, right. Right. He gave up His His spirit and, and suffered the things that we suffer. You know, it says that He, you know, spent. Uh, Three days in the Hadean realm, um, you know, separated from God. You know, He suffered that so that we don't have to. Uh, so I think that's again a vitally important thing for us to remember. Um, quickly before uh, we run out of time, um, one of the main, main things that uh, we need to remember, uh, you know, when God established this, the new covenant, um, you know, we really aren't. Um, under the obligation of of the Ten Commandments anymore, you know, as a specific laws and ordinances. Um, you know, there's been a lot of 
issues with folks trying to separate out, you know, portions of the, the old covenant, uh, still saying that, well, you know, you got the moral law and the ceremonial law, so, uh, you know, they want to try to still hold on to the Ten Commandments and say that, you know, that's, we've got to do, you know, X, Y, Z, um, but then yet we don't have to worry about the sacrifices and all the different festivals and things of that nature. I think that's very dangerous for us to, you know, keep that mindset. Um, you know, God did, does tell us that, and I think Hiram mentioned this, uh, you know, of course he's teaching Romans this this uh, quarter and uh, got to listen to a little bit of his, his lesson as he started last week. But, you know, Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews deals with that specifically, um, how the, the uh you know, the New Testament, the, the New Covenant, um, you know, did away with or repealed all the aspects of the Old Covenant. And, uh, again, that's one of the things we really got to focus on is that, you know, we're not held to these uh, very specific uh, rules and, and regulations. But one of the things that really stands out to me, and it always has stand out, when you, you know, when the Pharisees... Um, we're trying to trap Jesus, you know, during his ministry, and they asked him about the the prevalence or you know which commandments were most important. Uh, and uh, of course, one of the references is Mark 12, verse 30 and 31. You know, he basically love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, body, and spirit. And he says the second is like unto it: love your neighbors yourself. You know, he's very freeing to us uh, if we just remember that: love God love each other. I mean, all the rest of the commandments really are going to fall into place if we're focusing on that. If we're if we're really focused on loving God with, you know, with all of our being and then I'm loving each other, I'm loving, you know, my the people I come in contact with the way that I want to be loved. Essentially, all the commandments are going to uh, be fulfilled. I'm going to I'm going to by you know, just the very nature of that, I, I will fulfill most of the commandments. Of course, again, you know, we don't have uh, um, the issue with uh, having to worry about the Sabbath day and whatnot, but uh, a lot of the other just fundamental thoughts that, uh, you know, we, we looked at with the Old, Old Testament with the uh, with Ten Commandments, you know, I think, it, you know, if we're really trying to to live the way Christ wants us to, um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna fulfill that ourselves. Um, again, there is no, even though you know the old covenant is not, I'll be very brief, is not uh, you know what we're under under the rule of. You know, it, it still does have a lot of value to us. Um, you know, it it shows us. Um, you know. It, even the the Roman writer and, and Corinthian writers, you know, and Paul says that you know the Old Testament was for our learning and for our admonition. Um, you know, one of the things we also do is we learn about the origin of all things. Uh, you know, being the universe and, and man, we learn about the church. Um, you know, we learn a bit about how we can connect Noah's flood to baptism. Uh, we can connect Jonah to the resurrection, and we can connect Canaan. To heaven. Uh, again, we, it's very important for us again to just to try to make those distinctions uh, between the Old and the New Testament. So uh, I'm going to quit my rambling. Uh, next week 
we'll have uh, lesson three. Uh, Josh is going to have that, but that is uh, going to be focused on the divine origin of the church. So again, appreciate everyone's uh, uh, participation and, and uh, attendance this morning.